Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Him who was and is and is to come. Amen. What is the truth? Sometimes you have to get to the bottom of that. What is the truth? What do you believe? When one person says one thing and someone says another and a third still chimes in with another, what or who do you believe? What is the truth? Because you'll be called to make a decision or put a value or something on the truth. And if you don't have a stable, solid truth from which to make a decision, the decision will be wishy-washy at, at best. As Jesus and Pontius Pilate are speaking together, they're having this conversation and it's a little bit of dog and cat and working and kind of in and out and who's that. And finally, towards the end of that discussion, Jesus says, everybody on the side of truth listens to me. And it's almost a throwaway line. Pontius Pilate, it seems to me, takes a deep breath out in the midst of great conflict and says, what is truth? What is truth when it seems like the whole city is bonkers? You get all these crazy religious people out here who want to kill Jesus, and the last thing I'm concerned about is truth. And by the way, I'm the reigning guy, so if I say it's true and this guy goes to the cross, then it is truth. What is truth? Madonna in her song said, truth is where you find it. Truth is relative. Truth is elusive, we speak of in the 21st century. For some, truth is the exclusive sovereignty of self. Truth is what I think it is, what I dictate it to be. Truth is mine and mine alone. It's my truth for the moment. It's my truth for the season. It's my truth for me. And you dare not challenge my sovereign personhood when I declare what is true, even if I'm wrong. And even if it doesn't work. And even if it's incoherent or hurtful, you dare not mess with somebody else's truth because that's truth for them. And that's where we are 20, that's where we are 500 years later in 2017, 500 years from the, the Reformation. Dr. Luther said, here I stand. And the 21st century church says, well, maybe might be okay if you don't get mad. It's a little different kind of truth. The type of truth that is relative is certainly no truth on which the basis to, to make a life. It's relativized and subjective. It's just for you in the, in the moment. It's wishy-washy at best, and it leaves room for interpretation, and it leaves room that you can just walk away from it and say, eh, that was the truth for that moment of my life, but now the moment is here. It happens all the time. We adjust our truth to the moment we're in or the context in life that we have. So who discerns what's true or not? Hmm. Well, I'm the pastor, so I decide what's true. And it didn't work so good. 500 years ago in Martin Luther's world, the popes and councils decided what the truth was. The church discerned what was true. And then that was acculturated into the congregations and delivered down into the people. And that's just the way it worked. It's going to be like this except when the Pope and the councils didn't connect, they didn't get along. 
when one council said this and one council said that, then the people and the priests said, well, then what's the truth? And the church had the scriptures, but they didn't have them like we have them. If I would ask you to pull out your Bible and turn to John chapter 8, ultimately every person in here who's above about four years of age could eventually find John chapter 8, in which Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Only the clergy had the scriptures. And the scriptures were only translated into the Latin Vulgate by St. Jerome. So only people who could read Latin, and that wasn't all the priests, and very few of the German farmers, very few people had opportunity to read the Bible. And so the people relied very closely on what the popes and the councils said. Until Dr. Luther said, well, who says so? Who says so? And the church pointed back to the Pope. They said, well, that guy, he said so from the throne in Rome. He said it. Well, what about that? Who said this? Well, this group of people at, at the Council of Trent, they, they said this. But on Wednesday, they said this. And on Friday, they said that. Right. They said it and we do it. And that's the way it is. So to determine truth, the uh, Pope would call a meeting and then try to figure it out. And sometimes they agreed and sometimes they disagreed and sometimes they were aligned and sometimes they contradicted each other. But the truth was always kind of obfuscated by what was, what was going on at the time. It'd be kind of like our pastors getting together and saying, what should we do in the courtyard between services? And Pastor Trevor would say, I got a great idea. Let's put a Ferris wheel out there and the kids can come out, and the grandkids will put the donuts, and they can have them. It'll be great. Pastor Rosso would say, well, let's think about that. Pastor Mike would say, let's be a study. Pastor Nathan would say, let's go. <laughs> and I would say, well, okay. And then next Sunday, you'd come back. And I'd say, well, the Ferris wheel wasn't a good idea, and we went with bumper cars instead because more kids can get on the bumper cars, and Trevor was hurt because we countermanded his idea. And Pastor Rosso said, well, we got to think about this a little bit. And Pastor Mike said, well, we'll see what the other churches are doing. And Pastor Nathan said, let's go. <laughs> now, messing around like that is one thing. But speaking of hearts and souls, of lives, of heaven and hell, of forgiveness and grace, of sleeping in conscience, of those things that afflict and affect and infect a soul over the course of time. Who says so is of a critical nature. Who says you're forgiven? Who says you're in Christ? Because those are the things that cause people's lives to be ill at ease. So Luther went back, not to popes and traditions, but back to the word, back to the scriptures, back to the truth, back to the authority of the Lord. And he found grace and truth and Jesus alone in scripture and the lavish love of God for his people. And funny thing how that worked and how that empowered him and how courageous he was that when his head was literally on the block, he said, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. He said, to go against the clear word of God and of conscience, he wouldn't do it. He would not say, I recant. 
Who told him? The scriptures told him. And unless he could be convinced by scripture, he would not wimp out. So he said, here I stand. I remember being in middle school and thinking I was really smart. I'm not sure that's ever really worn off. I still think I'm kind of smart, but, but I remember being in middle school. And in seventh and eighth grade, I was a genius. And so we'd argue in our family as we'd go for walks. And, and, and my father had a degree in thus and such in history. And we'd argue about who was the greatest king this, who was the greatest general and all of that. And I would say, well, of course, George Patton was the greatest general. And he'd say, that's ridiculous. George, uh, general MacArthur was the greatest general, blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, well, Patton did thus and such. And he would say, well, MacArthur did thus and such. And, and, and sometimes we would just get ludicrous. And I remember my brother was in church at early service. And, and, and we would look at my dad and we would say, well, who says so? My dad would say, I do. Typically, that was enough to say General MacArthur was better than General <laughs> Pat. Who's the authority? Well, in our home, our father was the authority. And when he said, I say so, he meant it. He was not playing. If he said, get out and get after your chores and do it now, we went. Not because we were coerced or threatened, but because we were loved. He provided food for us. He provided gasoline for cars when we became of age. He provided love and grace and kindness. He married my mom and they raised us in a home with shoes and socks and underwear and clothes. We did not go hungry. We did not go to school naked. It was clear in every way that our parents loved us dearly. And that gave him the authority in what he had done that when he said, I say so, we would nod and say, right on. His authority found in what he had done. Who says so? Who has the authority? What is the truth? Who says your sins are forgiven? Who says that? Well, if popes and councils, then it's kind of hot and cold. The scriptures say that. It's in the Bible. And the Bible points us to Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 5, these, these scriptures, are they that testify concerning me. So who says your sins are forgiven? Jesus the Christ says that in scripture. Well, how do you know that promise is valid? How do you know that's true? Well, I'm convinced that that's true because of what he did. I'm convinced that's true because he suffered and died on a cross to make the sacrifice once and for all for our sins. Who says? Jesus says. And Jesus proclaims that from the cross when he says, it is finished. He says, I am in you and you are in me. And your sins are forgiven. He is truth made in flesh and blood on a cross for you and me. And by the authority of his work on the cross, we are confident that there's nothing sinful that would keep us away from God. God has bridged that chasm with his son, Jesus. Who says your sins are forgiven? Well, the very one who died for you. Who says Jesus says? In his life and his death, there's truth. 
truth made flesh. Well, how about another question? Who says you're saved? Well, popes and councils, they say you're saved. It's all good. Put their little papal stamp on it. It's all good. I've St. John's, he could come on the last day and take the membership roster, and here you go, here's all 5,700 members, they're all saved, it's all good. What if the book burns up? What if it blows away? What if we forgot somebody's name? What if we're just not quite right? What? Who says you are saved? Not me. I didn't die for you. I love you dearly, but... It's a different thing. Not any fad book or any nutty prayer that comes from some bizarre edge of Christianity. Rather, the scriptures say you are saved. A matter of fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says it twice. The second time, Paul says, you are saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves, lest you should boast it is a gift of God. Well, who says you are saved? Well, the, the scriptures say you are saved. Well, and then how do you know that's true? Well, we know that's true because the scriptures lead us back to Jesus. Not only did he die on the cross, but he rose up again so that he could open the kingdom of heaven to you and me. He overcame death, the grave, and rose up for you and me. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the one who did not see decay but was found to be living when the ladies came to the tomb, he was alive. By the authority of his life and his death, we are forgiven of our sins and we are saved for eternity with God in Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us and it points us to Christ who did all the work for it. And that's what it means to be Lutheran. When people ask in our new member class, when children ask in confirmation, when people take me for lunch and say, well, I grew up like this. What's a Lutheran like? I say, we study the scriptures because in the scriptures we see Jesus. We don't have a pope, we don't have a council. And if we had a council that said, Pastor Tim, no more baptisms, no more communion, we'd be out and I'd be out and it'd all be over. It just doesn't work that way. Scripture points to Jesus. So the faith is not about popes and councils, not about the temper of the times. The truth is not about the right robes and rituals. It's not about the right leanings and liturgies. To be Lutheran is to hold with confidence the truth of Jesus and to live a lively faith and to serve others in vocation with verb and vigor and all the love in our hearts. That's what it means to be Lutheran, children of the Reformation, 500 years later. That's why today is such a big day. I can't think of anything that lasts 500 years, especially nothing since 1517. Kings and monarchs, autocrats, there's been wars and depressions, incredible world events, but not a philosopher, not a theologian, not another person had the effect on literacy and language, on communication, on theology, on architecture, as Dr. Luther. This was all built on the truth, the truth of Jesus and his love demonstrated in the Bible.
It's all about Jesus. That's our legacy, our life together. That's why it's so important to participate and walk with Christ every day. Again, a uniquely Lutheran reclamation. Jesus said, I am the way and the life and the truth. Because the work is the Lord's. And because he did something no human being could do, it's to his credit. And so we say with Dr. Luther and with Johann Sebastian Bach, SDG, Soli Deo Glory, Gloria, to God and God alone be the glory. And that's the truth 500 years ago for Luther and October 29th, 2017 to the church and Christians today. Amen.